What does real faith look like in the middle of hard times? What does real faith look like when you're going through the fire? When life is crashing down all around you? And I think it's an important uh, thing to talk about because there are a lot of lies out there, even in the church world, as to what does real faith uh, look like. There's a brand of Christianity that says if you feel weak, if you feel afraid, if you feel tired or desperate, don't even say it. Because by saying it, you acknowledge it and it becomes a reality in your life and you shouldn't do that. If that's where I'm at, whether I say it or not, that is where I'm at. (laughs) There are moments where I feel weak. There are moments where I feel desperate. Warren Wearsby uh, looked at this idea of what is real faith in the middle of a problem or a trial, and he said the pessimist only sees the problem, only sees what's wrong, only sees the difficulty. The optimist only sees the potential, and they, they find it hard to even acknowledge that there's a problem at all. They just see rainbows and pink unicorns. The realist, and and I would say real faith, acknowledges there's a problem. There's a trial, there's a hurt, there's a pain. But sees that there is a God to turn to in the middle of that problem and walk forward. As we go through this chapter in Paul's life, where I want to go is that I think real faith involves at least three things. First, it involves honesty about where we're at, the, the hurt in our lives, the, the trial, the struggle. It involves persevering in God's work and the work that He gives us in the middle of that. And third, and probably most importantly, it involves an acknowledgement of our desperate dependence on God. Honesty, perseverance, and desperate dependence on God are some of the, the cores of, of real faith. And we're going to see how this played out in Paul's life, and, and hopefully God will speak to us in our own trials today. It says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Now, as you guys know, Athens was a small city by this time. It was a city of about 10,000 people. The city of Corinth, where he was about to go to, was a city of about 200,000 people at least. It was one of the two most important cities that Paul ever came to in the Roman Empire, the other being Ephesus. And you can see that little land bridge that that separates the Aegean Sea and the Adriatic Sea. You see that white line? It was a huge business port because ships would come to one side of that and rather than going all the way around to the south, which is a dangerous 200-mile journey, Many large ships would drop their cargo off at one end of that white line and have it carried across to the other side where they'd load it on another ship and take it around the world. This sea could take you all the way to Asia. Smaller ships would even port there and be rolled across that land bridge on wooden rollers just to speed up the journey. Who cares? Well, 
We care because people would come from all over the world to transport their goods here. And those goods and sailors and other businessmen that came through there would go all the way to Asia via the water on that side, via the land they could go all the way up into Europe on the north. This was a, a central city. So Paul shows up there, and we know a couple other things about this central city. One is that there were some certain gods that they worshipped. Uh, they had some beautiful temples. Even today, the ruins are there. If we go to the next slide, this is the ruins of the temple of Apollo. That was one of the gods that was commonly worshipped there. He had a son named Asclepius, who is the god of healing. They worshipped him. But one of the most famous or notorious god, gods, actually a goddess that they worshipped there, was named Aphrodite. You can hear even in her name that that's where we get our modern day term aphrodisiac. There's a reason for that. In, in Greek mythology, Aphrodite was a very beautiful goddess. And the rest of the gods looked at her and said, she's so beautiful, she's going to create tension among all the other gods. They're going to fight over her. So they came up with a solution. They had her married off to an ugly god. Do you know there's an ugly Greek god? His name was Hephaestus. They said, hey, if we have her marry him, he won't be a threat to anybody else and he'll calm things down. Trouble was, even when she was married to Hephaestus, she was unfaithful to him. She, she slept around with other gods like Ares. She even carried out her immorality with men. So if this is the goddess that's worshipped, you can only imagine what the worship of this goddess looked like, right? Her temple was notorious in Corinth. One, one of the things we know about it was that there were 1,000 prostitutes at this temple that would nightly go out throughout the city selling their wares in the name of worshiping this goddess. Sexual immorality was, was rampant. You can imagine it, as one of my friends said this week, as the Las Vegas of Paul's day. Okay, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. You can imagine mothers of and fathers of young teenage girls, when they come home and say, I've got a date tonight, the mother or father might say, it's not one of those Corinthian guys, is it? <laughs> there even became a popular phrase. Uh, sexual immorality itself became known as Corinthianizing. To Corinthianize was to behave in a sexually immoral way. And all of a sudden, if you know anything about Paul's letters that, that he would later write to the believers there, they make sense. 1 Corinthians 6, he said, Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Listen to this. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Some of the very people that came to believe in Jesus had, had come out of this exact lifestyle. Now, I want to talk to you first. I told you that real faith involves honesty about the trials that we're in. When Paul would later write these letters to this city, I want you to listen to his own words about where he was at when he came to this city. 1 Corinthians 2.3, he wrote this. 
And this is an apostle. You know, all of us are worried about our reputations. Like, we don't want anybody to know that we struggle. We don't want anybody to know that we're weak, that, that we're having a hard time. If anybody sh- should be worried about that from that point of view, it should be an apostle. But Paul's a model for us in being honest. You know what he said? He said, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. You talk about raw honesty. He's saying to them, when I came to you, I I felt weak inside. I was so weak, I was trembling. I was fearful because of what had gone on in my life leading up to this. You know what had just happened before this? He came to the city of Philippi, if you remember, where he was severely flogged and then locked up in a jail with Silas. Some converts were made, but you talk about a hard time. He comes to Thessalonica, And some people believe, but there again, the Jews came and ran him out of town. He came to Berea and the Jews from Thessalonica followed him down there and chased him out of there. When he went to Athens, he preached the gospel in Athens. And while a few believe, many of the philosophers sneered at him and dismissed him as a babbler. You can start to see why maybe Paul came here feeling weak, trembling and in fear and That's encouraging to me. This is an apostle. He's not a superhero. He's a human like you and me. And he's acknowledging the realness of his emotions, the the things he's going through. That's the first part about faith. He's honest about it. Something else that was bothering him at this time, he had planted a church in Thessalonica. And because the Jews were beaten up on him, he was now worried about the believers that he left behind. He wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. So not only had he personally been attacked and run out of towns, he's, he's worried about these new believers. What are these persecutors going to do to them? So he was honest. But I want to go on to say he persevered in the work that God gave him. And as we go through this, I want you to see the ways that God answers his faith, the way that God provides for Paul's encouragement. Verse 2, we're going to see how Paul persevered in his work. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Now, one of the cool things here is that God provided some friends for Paul. How many of you know that when you're going through a hard time, you need friends in Jesus around you? You need that. The the enemy is the one who wants to get you alone because he knows he can pull you down more effectively that way. Aquila and Priscilla, the the timing of this on God's part is amazing. Paul arrived in this city in the fall of A.D. 50. In A.D. 49, there was an edict issued in Rome. Aquila and Priscilla, most likely two Christians, had lived in Rome. And the emperor named Claudius had sent out an edict that all the Jews get out of Rome. Leave here. And, And they actually have a historical document that shows part of what he wrote was... There's too much disruption about this guy named Christus. 
Christ. And what the Roman emperor was saying was, look, these Jews are always fighting about this Christ. Some of them believe in him. Some of them don't. And they're always fighting. So just get out of Rome. You're causing a disruption. Because of that edict, these guys show up in this city where Paul desperately needs two friends. And beyond friends, they were in the same work as he was. It says he went to see them. And because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Paul was trained as a tent maker growing up. He's not only trained as a Jewish rabbi before he came to Christ, rabbis always learned to trade as well. And he learned to make tents out of goat's hair or leather. And here he finds the, this couple. He begins to work with them. And every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. He went in there and talked to them about Jesus as he always did. God also not only knows that Paul needs friends around him during his hard time, he knows that he needs some good news. And he sends Silas and Timothy, who Paul had been waiting for, to him. Check this out. Acts 18, verse 5 and 6. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, you remember they had been up there around Philippi and other places after Paul left, they came and rejoined him. Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching. Now, we know from others of Paul's writings that when they came, they didn't just come. They brought him good news. They brought news from Thessalonica. You remember the church he had been so worried about? In 1 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 8, Paul writes, Timothy has just now come to us and has brought good news about your faith and love. He's told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us, just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you're standing firm in the Lord. He gets this great news that, hey, the church in Thessalonica is not running away from the faith. They're growing. They're holding on. And you can imagine how that gave him a boost in the middle of his current mood. They also, we know from other books, brought him a gift of money from the church that he had planted at Philippi. He later wrote, When I was with you and needed something, I was not a burden to anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. I have kept myself from being a burden to you in any way and will continue to do so. That was actually in 2 Corinthians. And then Philippians, he said, It was good of you to share in my troubles. So he gets this gift of money, which enables him then to give all of his time exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul, as usually happened, and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent of it. From now I'll go on, I'll go to the Gentiles. This whole thing of shaking his shirt out was basically the equivalent of shaking the dust off their shoes that we heard in other places. He's saying to these Jews, Look, your, your blood is on your own heads. I have preached the truth about Jesus. You have chosen to disbelieve it. I'm moving on to the Gentiles. God even provides in this. Watch where he moves to. He gets, he gets booted out of the synagogue. Where does God give him a place to, to preach from? Verse 7. Paul left the synagogue and went, where? Next door. Now you can imagine this creates some tension, right? He just gets kicked out of the synagogue, and now he's right next door preaching this same Jesus. You can imagine walking down the street, some Jews are going in the synagogue, and Paul's going here to preach, and 
uh, tense situation, but he goes to the house of Titius Justice, a worshiper of God, and he starts to preach the gospel there. Now watch this. God's going to provide a key breakthrough in his ministry. Crispus. Who is Crispus? What's it say next? The synagogue leader. This is the leader of the synagogue that he had just gotten kicked out of. And his entire household believed in the Lord. You imagine Paul being like, yes, yes. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. Now you can imagine the impact this had on the rest of the synagogue, right? You got these Jews in this synagogue. And Crispus should have and probably did know the scriptures better than any of the rest of them. He's the leader. And they're looking at Crispus like, wait a second. He knows the scriptures and he believes they're pointing to this Jesus that Paul talks about. I mean, the, the ripples, I imagine, would have been similar. Imagine like if a Charles Stanley or a Chuck Swindoll or a John Piper came out and said, I've become a convert to Islam. You imagine the, the ripples throughout the Christian world. Some people would say, what's going on here? And walk away from their ministries. Others might be led to say, maybe I should look into that. Obviously, that, the illustration breaks down because Islam is not true. But you see the impact this would have when their own leader believed in Jesus. God brought them a key convert. Now, what happened in every other city when Paul started to make headway? Kick him out. <laughs> out. Sometimes he got beat. Sometimes he got thrown in jail. Sometimes he got ran out of town. And so you can imagine Paul's mental condition here. It's after a while, it starts to get like Groundhog Day, right? <laughs> okay, he, I know what's coming now. If, if this was a movie and there was a soundtrack, I can hear Phil Collins. I can feel it. Coming in the air tonight, oh Lord. <laughs> don't, don't encourage me. <laughs> right, he, he's probably feeling what's coming. And this is where I imagine Paul is having a desperate dependence kind of conversation on God. Okay, like God, I know what's coming. I need you. I need your strength. And part of the reason I believe that is he's about to get a vision from God. And God doesn't speak to us, encourage us, minister to us just because, oh, I guess I'll do that. He does it because we need it. Acts 17, verse 9, God gives him a vision. Jesus comes. It says, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Listen to this encouragement from God. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So check this out. This is unusual for Paul. He stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. Talk about encouragement. Real faith means being honest about where you're at with your feelings. Persevering in the work that he's given you. And then having a desperate dependence on God, admitting the weakness. And you see what Paul, God did here. He gave him this vision. Now, did you notice part of why he encouraged him? Was it simply for Paul to bask in God's comfort and joy in his own life and sort of keep it to himself? 
No, why did he give him that word of encouragement? So he could keep on preaching to a city that needed Jesus. He said, keep on speaking. At the end, he says, because I have many people in this city. What that means is God had many people that he wanted to draw to himself to come to Jesus. He said, Paul, stay there. Keep speaking. I'm encouraging you. And yes, it's a blessing to you. But I'm doing it so that you can reach this city for the Lord. Key promise there for I am with you. You know, that's a promise to every believer in Jesus Christ, even today in this room. Jesus said in his great commission, go and make disciples. And at the end, he said, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. You can see even there that his presence with us is not merely for our own comfort. It's to inspire us and, and embolden us in the mission that he's given us to reach people for Jesus. There was an old preacher named G. Campbell Morgan that was talking about this promise in Matthew 28. I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. And this old preacher was spending time at a nursing home with two ladies reading the Bible to them. And he got to Matthew 28 and he said to them, isn't this a great promise about Jesus always being with us? And the two wise elderly women looked at him and said, that's not a promise. That's a fact. You see where they're coming from? And I wonder, do we live like that? Do we live and believe that Jesus is with us today? Right in the middle of whatever we're going through and that he's with us to encourage us on the mission that he's given us. Now he needed this encouragement because look what happens in verse 12. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, that's the region Corinth was in, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul. Some of you guys are scratching your head like, wait a sec, I thought God just said that wouldn't happen. We'll talk about that in a minute. And brought him to the place of judgment. This man they charged is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Now the sense of the promise that God had given Paul did not mean that no one's ever going to come against you again. What he said was, no one is going to attack and harm you. This was a city, a promise in this city. They came against him and they brought him to the place of judgment. He was not harmed. It says, this man they charge is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. But you can't imagine, if you're honest, maybe you've been here. Sometimes we too look at God's promises and we go through a hard time and we start to wonder, wait a second. Is he keeping his word? Wait a second, I thought I... If Paul's human, maybe some of that's going through his mind. We don't know. But I want you to check something out here. Where he talks about them bringing him to the judgment seat. The Greek word for that is bima. And Paul would later write in some of his letters to the Corinthians that one day every believer is going to stand before the bima, the judgment seat of Jesus. And Jesus is going to judge us all, not whether or not we, we get into heaven, because that's based on faith in Jesus. That, that's settled. He's going to judge our works, whether good or bad. And it says that he's going to reward the, the good works that we do in the name of Jesus. And the things that we've done for ourselves or selfishly or sinfully are going to be burned up. 
Paul had this picture in his mind because when the, the people grabbed him and dragged him down to the bema, it was this platform. And at the time, it looked a whole lot better. It was covered with marble. And they would put the man on trial up on top of that big platform, and the judge would be up there with him. And the judge in this case was a man named Gallio. Gallio was well-liked throughout the Roman Empire. He had a little brother named Seneca. You might have heard of him. He's a famous philosopher. And he talked about Gallio and said, no one is so well-liked as Gallio. He was like this popular guy that everybody liked being with. And so what he said really resonated with other people. What's he going to say? What's he going to do? Verse 14. Now once you realize what hangs in the balance here, not only Paul's ministry in Corinth, but when a man named Gallio makes an edict, it could impact the ministry of the gospel around the whole empire. Verse 14 says, Just as Paul was about to speak, so he's getting ready to defend himself, Check this out. God provided a government leader to step in on his behalf. Gallio said to them, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names in your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. In other words, I don't even care about this. I don't have time for this. Now, what impact did that have on Paul and his ministry? It meant that he could continue on. Because this leader wasn't going to shut it down. And this was the general policy throughout the empire for the next decade. Between AD 50 and AD 60 or so. Time when Paul would later go to Asia and spread the word of Ephesus. It gave the gospel the time it needed to get a foothold in our world before Nero took over in the 60s and began to persecute Christians. And I love this. God answered Paul's need. Paul didn't even have to, he couldn't even get a word out. God had put this man there who had just been put in office that July, and they only served for one year. God put him there at such a time as this to make this proclamation. And it became the the approach around the empire. Now check out the end. So he drove them off. Then the crowd there turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader. This may have been a follow-up leader to Crispus. You know, Crispus believed in Jesus, so there's a good chance he got canned from the synagogue. (laughs) You can't believe in Jesus and lead your your synagogue. (laughs) Sosthenes may have been the follow-up. He may have been another co-leader. And they beat him in front of the proconsul. They beat this guy, and Gallio showed no concern, whatever. Now, we don't know the exact reason they beat him. It could have been Greek people beating up a Jewish guy because there's always this latent anti-Semitism throughout the empire. Much of the empire hated Jews, and it was always just under the surface. And this is their way of saying, you Jews, stop causing trouble. Or it could have been the Jews beating up their leader for not presenting his case well. We don't know, but either way, Gallio's just like, hey, whatever. He's moving on. And, and you see God's protection in this because without God, how easily could have this been Paul, right? So I want to close with a couple thoughts here. All right, Paul was honest about his weakness, his trembling, and his fear. He persevered in the work that God had given him. And he showed a desperate dependence on God. And God 
God worked by leading many to the Lord. It says, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. And where I want to close tonight is just, I don't know if maybe you've got exposed to that warped kind of faith that says you always got to keep a fake plastic smile on no matter what you're going through. You can never cry. You can never say you're weak or fearful or trembling. If you've been exposed to that, I want to say today, if you follow Paul's example in God's word, stop it. (laughs) Be honest about where you're at. Admit, I am weak today. I'm fearful. I'm, I'm trembling. Watch what Paul would later write to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 4. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, listen, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. What he's saying there when he talks about us as jars of clay is jars of clay are fragile. I think all of us would admit that at various points in our lives, it's not always, there's a fragility to, to us. And sometimes jars of clay would crack. The, the picture here is that God puts this light inside of us, as he said in verse 5. And sometimes it's actually through the cracks in our lives, through the brokenness, through the pain, that the light of Jesus can shine most clearly for those around us to see. Not through pretending that we never get broken. One more thought that I had, if the jars of clay thing doesn't speak to you, because we don't use a whole lot of those these days, I thought about the... The jack-o'-lanterns, as so many of us will be carving, putting out on our porches. Now, the thing about a jack-o'-lantern is the light only shines out where that thing's been cut. We talk about God shining through our weakness and our hearts. and I see, I see a picture there. Often it's only where we're, we're hurt the deepest, and we admit that and look to Him for His grace that the, the world can see in and say, wow, there, there's a God at work in their lives. Paul would later say, you remember, he had some affliction and he asked God three times to remove it. And God said, no. You remember what God said? He said, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in your weakness. You know what Paul's application of that was? He said, if that's true, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. I'm not going to deny him. I'm not going to try to cover him up. I'm going to admit that I need God. I'm going to admit that I am weak, that I am fearful, that I'm afraid, that I'm trembling so that God's power can show through me. I'm going to boast about him. Is that us today? Do we embrace the weakness in our lives so that God can shine through him or are we too busy putting the masks on, pretending that everything's... Okay. Randy told me he missed me talking about the Ohio State Buckeyes, so we're going to close with something. He honestly told me that last week, so if this bothers you, he's not even in here. You, you can beat him after the service. <laughs> they won 63-14 to last night against Penn State. That was their 20th win in a row. 
But the week before, they had a close game against Iowa. They almost lost it. Looked like they were going down in the first half. And part of the problem was their defense. So they talked to the coach, Urban Meyer, after last night's blowout. And they said, what was the change between this week and last week? And he said, we talked to our defense about the weaknesses they had. The biggest thing was the pass rush. They weren't getting in there after the quarterback fast enough. And you know what? Tonight, they did. And I thought, what a great picture for Randy's sake, because I had to work it in, of what we're talking about. They acknowledged the weakness of not getting the pass rush done, and they said, what do we need to do about it? And I think as believers, we need to acknowledge our weakness and do what we said in this message. Be honest with God and others about the brokenness, the weakness, the fear. Persevere in the work that he's given us and desperately depend on God to show his strength in our weakness.